0: The bank story.
1: Yeah, um, I think that I am the reason why there is a branch um, in the Chase of the Chase Bank in Flagstaff that no longer will give you, like, same-day replacement cards.
0: What did you do? Because
1: um, (laughs) (laughs) when I first got Chase, um, I, like, lost my card literally every week. I like was constantly losing my card for like probably like a like a six month period, and like I would always like I would always go in and it would be the same lady every time. She's like oh my god! And she would like know me by name, all the information, <laughs> and then eventually, like at one point, I went in there and like she was like she was really upset to see me, <laughs> and like She's I like, oh my god. I'm like hi. I'm sorry. Oh, you
0: lost your card? You lost <laughs> yeah, your card? Yeah, I did. Oh. I
1: lost my card again.
0: Okay, she just turns around and, like, screams into a yeah, folder. Yeah, I think and she's her like, name Great. was
1: Anita. I shouldn't say that. I'm being way too specific.
0: <laughs> I think her name was Anita. I think she actually lived over... <laughs> Over in the uh, the West Flagstaff area, three seven four nine Maple Street. Shouldn't be talking actually. so much.
1: Maybe I'll get her in trouble or something. I, okay, you, sorry. Think, you think
0: Anita survived you? I think she quit the chase. <laughs> <laughs> she's not there no, anymore, No, Anita.
1: I'm sorry if you're listening. I'm sorry. No, um, but I went in and she's like in the middle of doing it because she already knows like the procedure, and I was like. Yeah, I'm sorry. I keep doing this. She's like, you know, um, we can't we can't replace it. Like today is actually the last day that we're going to even have that service available here. And I was like, oh, so what do I do? And she's like, yeah, you're just going to have to wait for a replacement card from now on.
0: Oh, man, I guess you're fucked. <laughs> oh, that sucks. And I you. was like,
1: oh, OK. <laughs> Um, and she's like, So try not to lose this one. <laughs> I was like, Okay. You and got mobbed by a I at the actually did not lose that one.
0: You got scared straight, bro. I
1: got scared fucking straight. I kept it until it expired and then I had to get it replaced. And, yeah, I just really took advantage of them, and they were not having it anymore.
0: <laughs> Anita made you an adult. That's yeah. great. Uh, so, welcome back, everybody, uh, to another episode of White Collars, Red Hands. Obviously, you can tell something's different in this room right now.
1: Because isn't wearing any pants. You can hear it.
0: I said different. <laughs> Maybe you didn't hear that.
1: Oh, Uh, yeah. Sorry. Something's wrong with me.
0: Never wearing pants. Um, Nina Kern isn't in this room today.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh,
0: I was out of the state all last week, and Nina is busy being a, God, successful stand-up comedian, and she's performing at Zany's. This week and quite a few other places, actually. So she couldn't make it in. So we decided, A, Kashan's going to get up early and cram in an, the research for an episode. Uh, so we could still release something this week. But Nina Kern is a hot commodity and she could not make it. So uh, across from me is a very good friend of mine. We've known each other for seven years now. Yeah. I was thinking before you came over. Ooh. Um Really uh, good comedian, we've known each other, uh, just started a uh, sketch comedy group yeah, right? right here in Chicago, correct. Um, doing a lot of good stuff. We performed a lot back in the day in college, and it's uh, Sarah Young.
1: Hello, thank you for having me on your wonderful show, Kashawn. I wish Nina was here instead of you.
0: <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> thanks.
1: I'm kidding. I'm not mean.
0: I can tell when you're telling the truth. It's been seven years.
1: You're right. You know me too well.
0: <laughs> um, so uh, we have a guest filling in today. Don't worry. Nina will be back next week because um, she's the one who's leading next week. So I sure hope she'll be here. That week will be the fan submitted episode that we promised you. Um, and today is not that. today.
1: <laughs> <laughs> just overall, not at all what they were expecting. It's just not that. It's not Nina. It's not that. Hey,
0: if you're a... If you guys aren't cool with spontaneity and change, and you're freaking out right now, I just want you to know, it's going to be all right.
1: Okay. You're going to be okay. You're being very gentle with them. It's not what I expected.
0: Don't worry. Good for you. Don't worry about it. We're here to support you (laughs) with ASMR. Uh, We we started talking about banks and a bank story that Sarah had, which was very funny, actually. Not a lot of the times on this podcast we actually rip it on the first story we talk about, and I thought that was great. Thank you. Um, So uh, I would would honestly say at this point you're probably wondering why we're talking about banks, but you're really probably not wondering why we're talking about banks because this is White Collars, Red Hands, and we have another bank to talk about with you. We've talked about Wells Fargo. Uh, We've talked about uh, Mediobanca and Michel Sandona is just a variety of others. And today, we have another one for you. So to set the scene, in 2019, Americans spent nearly $150 billion on illegal drugs. That is the equivalent of 78,947 Bugatti Veyrons, 37.7 billion Wendy's 4 for 4s, Or 30 billion copies of Shrek on VHS averaged from some very minute research I did on eBay. Uh, That's a lot of money. Most of which is reaped in by Mexican drug cartels. Now, these cartels have terrorized Mexico for many years, killing an estimated 15,000 people since 2006 alone. All in the name of providing drugs to the world, but most notably the U.S., The transaction of these drug sales don't work like a Starbucks. The cartels don't accept Apple Pay. So all of these transactions are done with cold, hard cash. So what happens to this cash from then on out? Is it stuffed into mattresses and piggy banks all throughout Mexico? That doesn't seem very space efficient, if you ask me. But what if there was a bank, a multinational powerhouse of the industry, willing to take money from anyone terrorists and cartels worldwide just because they are blinded by the dollar signs in their eyes. Well, luckily for murdering organizations everywhere, such a safe haven of money laundering exists and it goes by the acronym HSBC. (laughs) Uh, So the HSBC or the Hong Kong and Shanghai Banking Corporation was founded in the then British colony of Hong Kong in 1865. Then it was founded in Shanghai a month later, uh, benefiting from the start of trade to China in that time, specifically in opium trading, which I kind of found funny because uh, they got their start around the drug trade yeah. in China. Back when it was just, more like, eh, you're just doing some opium? That's uh, Just okay. some
1: light opium. I said,
0: I'm microdosing. In one, those, <laughs> in one
1: of those casual opium dens.
0: It, it's not serious, mom. It's a little <laughs> opium.
1: Just a little opium.
0: Uh the company was incorporated in England, and its HQ still stands in London, on Canada Street, for some reason, in London. <laughs> Don't ask me why they named a street like that. Um, through acquisitions of banks in many other countries, including uh, Banco uh, Bamarindes in Brazil, the Republic Bank of New York here in America, Credit Commercial de France in, you guessed it, France, and most notably, uh, to today's, Banco Bital. In Mexico, HSBC became a multinational bank and grew to the second largest bank in Europe with $2.98 in assets. However, powerful and respected do not always go hand in hand. Although holding a tremendous amount of influence financially, HSBC has been under scrutiny and mired in scandal almost since its inception, but really most importantly in the 90s when it started really expanding and buying all of these other banks. Um, Today, however, we're going to focus mainly on what happened after their takeover uh, of Banco Batal in Mexico and the way that HSBC has gained a reputation for taking money from anywhere, no matter how much blood is on it. So uh, that's just a little bit on the origin of HSBC But now we're going to switch to the cartel in Mexico. And I'm I'm not going to go into the storied history of what the cartel is Mm -hmm. and how it became a thing. We're not going to talk about it, but we're going to give a brief overview of how drugs and money flow into and out of the United States. Yeah. Firstly, they produce the drugs in Mexico, where it is easier to shirk the law. As many officers can be bribed and uh, political and police corruption is incredibly endemic in Mexico. Um, I mean, we all know it. You can pay off the police and the politicians in Mexico somehow even easier than you can do it here in America.
1: Amazingly, <laughs>
0: amazingly. So, so it makes it much easier to run a drug corporation out of there because eh, no one's going to fuck with you. I mean, look at how many times El Chapo escaped prison.
1: How many times? I, I don't, I don't like to glorify like drug cartel awful people, so I don't do like a lot of. Research on
0: that. Yo, he escaped, he escaped like four maximum security prisons. That's why they're holding him. They, so they finally prosecuted him in America and they're holding him in like the most secure prison in America.
1: Oh, it's crazy that people can still like escape prison.
0: Well, they really think it's because he just paid off all the guards. He was literally like yeah. the most, he was like the richest man well, in Mexico. that's
1: boring. Like I want him to like dig like a four mile long tunnel that comes out into like an abandoned Toys R Us or something like... Be more creative.
0: What? What do you want? You want him to do that uh, fucking, I almost said, Azkaban escape. (laughs) But I don't.
1: Yes. I don't mean the fictional
0: prison from Harry Potter. (laughs)
1: The Azkaban escape. I mean the
0: very real prison in San Francisco. I
1: don't even know enough about Harry Potter to make a hilarious joke right now. And I'm upset. I'm upset.
0: the The only... thing that matters is that you realized a hilarious joke could have went there it could have it could have that's what gets you an SNL audition is <laughs> <laughs> realizing where jokes could be
1: yeah it's it's having an eye for where the jokes could be that matter
0: I'm pretty sure that's what it is Lauren get a hold of it so after you make the drugs you pay someone to cross the Mexican US border in a car with secret compartments uh, containing any amount of illicit drugs uh, once they if they get through the border once they get through the border they drive to a store they park that car in the parking lot they go inside for a couple of hours and while they're inside someone comes to the parking lot gets the car takes it to a chop shop that could not be me oh yeah you're just realizing the life of a drug mule might not be for you okay oh, I be
1: awful with pranks I'd be laughing the whole time they'd be like are you just taking a day trip and I'd just be like laughing you like, yeah, Yeah. what's up?
0: You, like, pick up a soda. You're like, I'm just getting some Coke. Yeah. (laughs) And they're like, why is that so funny? You're like, shh.
1: So, So, okay, I will let you continue on this, but I do have questions and reservations about this.
0: All right. They take it to the chop shop. They remove the drugs. They bring it back to the store. They park it back in the parking lot most likely in a different space, you come out of the store, you get back in the car, Mm. you drive it back through the border, and then you give it back to the cartel, and they give you like $3,000, which is more than someone can make working honestly in Mexico for six months. So they give you six months of average salary in Mexico to drive across the drugs, go shopping in a store for two hours, and then drive the car back.
1: Okay, yeah. So maybe maybe I that could be me.
0: Oh, okay. Now you've changed now you your mind. Okay. Maybe cool. I
1: could. Like we're like four hours of work. Maybe I could just like just suck it up, you know? Yeah. Possibly. Oh, cool. No, actually, no, probably I couldn't. I feel like I would have to know what was inside the car. And then they would be like, We can't tell you and I'd be like, Okay, but no, just they'd, like tell they'd probably me. be
0: like meth.
1: You Go. think they would just be like meth?
0: Why not? <laughs> You know what you're doing. They're not going to lie to you and be like, I "Oh, like it's fucking rainbow sprinkles that we got to get to a baker in Arizona." <laughs> we Go ahead. Get the
1: rainbow sprinkles. It's Pride Month. We got to get them up there. Get out
0: there. <laughs> the cartel is an ally. No, it's meth, Sarah.
1: <laughs> is it all meth?
0: No, it's some cocaine. I mean, the, the weed trade is probably still a thing, but less of a thing now. That's yeah. I feel like I feel
1: like I would draw the line at meth.
0: Oh, that's the that's the one. So border officials. All right. Reg-
1: well, fine. OK, you know what? Now I feel oh, okay. bad. What? Now I feel like. I, OK, I draw the line at at Rainbow Sprinkles. I will not be a drug mule that we have. We have dis- decided.
0: That. You have 180 so much <laughs> that we're just back to the beginning.
1: It's, we're back to the beginning. I could never be a drug mule. I do not condone it.
0: Cool. Uh, so border officials regulate the Mexico to U.S. border much stricter than the other way. Uh, they focus too hard on finding the drugs coming in rather than the money coming out. And a lot of cash is generated by the drug trade. So a lot of the times that guy who got all the drugs removed from the chop shop, from the car, sometimes they'll even load money back into the car but on the way from U.S. to Mexico, there's just like a guy just like waving you through. Yeah, totally. And from Mexico to the U.S., they're stopping you. They got dogs, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're asking, they're grilling you a lot of questions. Um, so they're really focused on the drugs coming in and just way less focused on money heading out. Even though it's, I mean, if drugs come in, money has to go out.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, it's not like there's like money sniffing dogs.
0: There are. actually. There's
1: money sniffing dogs. Yeah, dogs there are. are so amazing. They have so <laughs> many talents. What well, can't they sniff, you know?
0: <laughs> We're not unpacking the dogs right now. Uh, <laughs> most of the cash from the drug trade is generated in what's termed street cash, uh, which is just small bills. Ones, fives, and twenties. This makes the $150 billion trade insane. Uh, to put this into perspective, $1 million in $100 bills weighs 22 pounds. Mm. But in fives, it's like 450 pounds. I, there's
1: weights. There's weights. At the border, right? Isn't there like when you drive over it?
0: So, uh, yes, yes.
1: So, but they, but not for that.
0: Well, they know. Also, they'll—they're very smart. They know the allowances that can be in a car,
1: mm-hmm. and they'll only
0: put that much in the car. So they do it in very small yeah. pieces. But of they course, get it, they're
1: smart, but they of get it through.
0: Um, and all of this money, which now weighs just—it's just a lot in volume—has um, to get moved back into Mexico, back to the cartels because they can't really get it in a a bank here in America. Now that they have the money, however, let's say they move it all back in, they need to clean it. They need to launder it. Uh, They need to turn their illicit profits into a legitimate asset in one way or another, which is the textbook definition of money laundering. A common way we see money laundering portrayed uh, is through restaurants or any other cash-intensive business, where uh, the owner of the restaurant, you buy a restaurant, and when you deposit your cash at the end of the day, You just slip a little bit of the money in from what you've made in the illicit drug trade and deposit it as well. As long as it's within like 10%, a bank is never going to notice that a little bit more cash is slipping in, especially if your business is doing well. Because if you, if like auditors come in and they see a bunch of people coming into your restaurant, they're going to assume you're generating a lot of cash business. And then once you get that money, you mix in the money from your illegal trades with the um, legal money you're getting. You put it into the bank and now you can invest that cash into real estate, into stocks, into whatever you want. And now you've turned your illegal money, your dirty money, into an asset that's not traceable to the illegal activity. Mm -hmm. So you've cleaned it. It's done.
1: Money laundering. Cash-heavy businesses.
0: Exactly. Um, restaurants. This is why you hear about like restaurants that you go in and the prices are extremely low like there's no way they can be operating at this cost yeah because they want to charge it as much of a loss so they can mix in more money
1: totally and
0: they're like no this place must be yeah like fronted by the mafia
1: that like okay and i think that for me like that's making sense now because i've always been like i think before i was always like why do like i feel like every like criminal in every movie is like this is my club, and I'm like, why does he have a club? Like, why would he? Why is he interested in having a hotel? Now it makes sense. Yep, it makes sense. Also,
0: a, a cash only operated business. It's also way easier to avoid taxes because you can just choose how much money you made. Yeah. So you can operate at a loss, but not actually operate at a loss and get a tax break and just keep the extra. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty easy
1: yeah. actually.
0: If you if you own a business, it's pretty easy to steal money from the government. <laughs> Don't do it. That's not a. That's not an endorsement. I Don't couldn't. Do I would
1: it. laugh the whole time.
0: See, you're bad at pranks.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and and what is crime but a prank? You know.
0: <laughs> True. A a prank for which you may die for. Just <laughs> a really.
1: Just a really big prank. It's a
0: hardcore prank. It's really what it is. It's hardcore pranking. It's what crime. is. It's just
1: is. like the most committed prank.
0: <laughs> Once again, not an endorsement for crime. No. All of this is making crime sound cool. It's not kids. Crime
1: is oh some crimes are kind of okay thrown like a really big party without a permit that is a cool crime
0: uh the cartels however were doing it a bit differently they don't own a bunch of restaurants in mexico believe it or not i mean they might own some i don't know what their side businesses are but that's not the big way at least like a sandals
1: resort you know that would make (laughs) sense lots of tourism
0: you're right yeah uh If you're going to the place in Mexico where your resort is owned by the cartel, I would be scared, though. (laughs) Why? Because someone is getting murdered in the room next to yours.
1: All right. And let it be said that murdering is not.
0: Not an endorsement. It's not one of the cool cool crimes. It's not one of the cool crimes. So the cartels, instead of buying businesses (laughs) to launder money, they were straight up just walking into banks with huge amounts of cash. They were then asking the bankers for a business loan for, let's say, $400,000, but backing that loan with a cash deposit of $1 (laughs) million, which is obviously pretty shady. (laughs) You're like, hey, can I have $400,000? And they're like, yeah, what do you have to Mm -hmm. secure the loan? And you're like, oh, like a million
1: dollars. Hey, Kashan, can I borrow like five bucks? I have $1,000 that I can give you in exchange. You're
0: like... Cool. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, n- n- don't worry about it, where I got it from.
0: And obviously, this would be a huge red flag for the bank, as the bank more often than not is the one who first gets wind of money laundering and reports it. So the CIA and all of the investigative committees that are looking into money laundering, most of the time they don't figure it out. They're told by a bank, and then they start investigating.
1: Oh, why would you trust a bank?
0: They have to. You have to trust them, and they have to report it. That's the law. So, so if they you, have so to if you find them, If you find that they didn't report something, they can get in trouble.
1: Oh, okay, we'll so, see. So
0: there are a lot of anti-money laundering laws, and we will see. Oh uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> so they come to know their clients very well, and will look into their finances to see if the money that they are backing a loan with is legitimate. That's
1: totally true. When you open a bank account, I remember Anita asking me, "She's like, what's your occupation?" And I was like, "I'm a I'm a cashier." And she's like, where? She's like, is this really necessary?
0: It's very necessary. <laughs> this is a bank. You don't want me to call the bank police. Yeah.
1: You? It's like, I promise I won't flag any of your systems except for the ones that have to do with replacement cards. That's it.
0: <laughs> so a lot of the times banks will look into this to see if the money you're depositing is legitimate. And this is also motivated by anti-money laundering laws, as I mentioned, that put the burden on the bank to flag these transactions and report them to the government. However... In Mexico, corruption has become such a part of the banking scheme that they were more than willing to look the other way on these transactions. This is partially because uh, they had no choice. There's a term used a lot uh, called plata o plomo, which means silver or lead. And there's stories of the cartels coming into the banker and asking for these loans, and then like putting pictures of their children down on the desk. And being like, so you're gonna give me this loan? It's literally the offer you can't refuse from the Godfather.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: You know, so they either bribe them with silver, or threaten them, the lead. Mm-hmm. And the process just became a regular thing. Like, how are you gonna stop it if you know?
1: Yeah, you're constantly like, being hey, threatened
0: to be murdered. Take at my your money.
1: Job. I'll slip you some money, and if you say no, then I'm gonna, I'm gonna kill your dog. That's that's how that goes.
0: Now. This was happening all through Mexico. It's just the same reason why every time we talk about a bank in Italy, they're always laundering money for the mafia. So this threatening, this use of plata o plomo, was happening frequently at Banco Vital when HSBC took over control in the 1990s. But even so, when HSBC put out their report on flag transactions, they said that the level was standard in their, Mex- their New Mexico branch, not in New Mexico, but their newly incorporated branch in Mexico. How's that? Um, and they weren't going to incorporate any more oversight in their Mexican division than in the other places of their banks. Even though, obviously, that's a lie. They were definitely doing it. They've been doing it for a long time. All the while, the cartels, especially the Sinaloa cartel, which is one of the most bloodthirsty, were very vocal about their preferred money laundromat being HSBC. And although HSBC denied it the whole time, they were about to get blown wide open, revealing the seedy underside of their business. So literally, I just imagine the cartel was going around being like, you want to put money somewhere? HSBC got your back.
1: They're putting out like commercials. Like, are from-
0: you looking for a bank? Yeah. Do you have a lot of dirty money?
1: <laughs> Do you murder HSBC? people? Yeah. If you're
0: looking for somebody without morals, HSBC <laughs> has your back.
1: They're not going to ask you any questions.
0: So, one of the whistleblowers for this was an investigative journalist named Annabelle Hernandez, um, whose father she had a close tie to the cartel because her father was killed. By the drug cartel. And when she went to the police uh, to ask them to investigate, they said that she would need to pay them for an investigation into it. So that's just a little view into the world of why these things are running so rampant in Mexico right now. Um, And she wrote articles about how the cartels were using HSBC Bank uh, specifically to launder money. And she was doing this in the early 2000s. She went on this big media tour. She was talking about it everywhere. Now, this led to the regulator, the U.S. regulator, requiring HSBC to adhere more strictly to anti-money laundering regulations all the way back in 2003. So it was all the way back then that they were first told, like, hey, you have to be more diligent at looking into the transactions happening at your bank and fixing it. And then after that, so they told them, they were like, yeah, 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 we got it. It's fine. After that... A raid was done in 2007 on a house in Mexico of the owner of a large pharmaceutical company who was importing a lot of pseudoephedrine and other precursor chemicals for meth production, and mm-hmm. he was doing it specifically for the Sinaloa cartel. So he was bringing in all of these um, to sell to them to make meth. And during the raid, they found two hundred and five million dollars in cash, just strewn about his mansion.
1: Oh, just casual.
0: There were pictures. It's a lot of money. (laughs) Just they were like opening closets. Just money. Money. They were like, I don't know. That was the one that I saw. They were probably pulling up just like bed sheets. There's no mattress. It's just money, you know? Just money. $205 million. You look in the fridge,
1: it's cold money.
0: Cold, hard cash.
1: Cold, hard cash. That's the money shot.
0: (laughs) It's... (laughs) It's everywhere.
1: <laughs> uh, let it be said that creating a pharmaceutical company in um, a country in order to smuggle chemicals in order to make meth for drug cartels is not. A cool crime.
0: That goes for most of the all of the crimes <laughs> we're going to talk about today. Let's just make a blanket statement: none of these are cool crimes.
1: Okay, yeah. So basically, we will say none of this is cool, and then if anything, if it is cool, then we will say because yeah, that'll the be easier. Other way. Yeah. Yes.
0: Okay. Um. So they found all this money around his mansion, and it was discovered that this man had a long history of banking with HSBC. And although the bank's HQ in London ordered the closing of his account in 2004, so three years before the raid, uh, the Mexico branch never did it. It was open the whole time. He was making transactions with them the whole time. He was depositing huge sums of cash that just never got flagged. Now, uh, and by the way, I don't think I mentioned this at, later at any point. This is the reason why there's deposit limits on your bank account. Oh, why you can't just roll up and deposit a certain like a shit ton of money every single day in a row?
1: Yeah, good thing I've never had to do that.
0: <laughs> I don't think any one of us have, and I don't think I probably don't think anyone listening to this podcast right now has either. Yeah, but unless I mean,
1: they just like enjoy being, you know.
0: Hey, good problems to have, right? Yeah. Oh my bank will let me deposit any more money today.
1: Oh, so difficult. I've definitely had them be like, hey you can't take any more out of your savings this month. <laughs> like I've definitely gotten that one.
0: It's just like, <laughs> they put a hand on your hand, bruh.
1: They're like, <laughs> it's called savings for a reason, bruh. honey. Stop.
0: Um, so the investigation moved into America at around the same time because a prosecutor in West Virginia was investigating a Medicare fraud where a doctor was prescribing opiates to his patients and misreporting his income and making a lot of flaggable transactions through none other than HSBC here in America. So he
1: was like drug dealing some opioids. So yeah. So he was like, I'll prescribe you some opioids if you give me some money.
0: Yeah. He was, he was a doctor. So technically, that you've described what doctor. doctors do, but he was doing it to people that Not didn't Not because need you it. need
1: it, but because I yeah. want your money and you want my opioids.
0: Exactly. And he was just like wire transferring like tens of thousands of dollars oh, just geez. like all the time. And transactions over $10,000 need to be reported. Mm-hmm. And they just weren't, they weren't doing any of that. So looking into this, the investigative team in West Virginia found all the transactions with the Mexican drug cartels while trying to look into this guy in West Virginia, who was also doing a bunch of flaggable transactions. And they found that the amount that uh, HSBC was doing with drug cartels was insane. I mean, $800 million in bulk cash transfers just from people associated with the Sinaloa cartel. One cartel were not flagged or reported, and they had kept on happening. Now, at the same time this was happening... HSBC had been required in 2003, as we mentioned, to hire uh, to clamp down on uh, money laundering. So they were also required as part of this to hire anti-money laundering compliance officials uh, to clear their back catalog of flag transactions. So a flag transaction will or an alert will come up whenever a rule in the system is broken. They had a backlog. So they
1: broke so many rules that they couldn't even look at all the rules that had been broken. They didn't
0: have people to look at it.
1: Oh, so they had
0: to hire someone to do it. They had 17,000. The backlog was 17,000 alerts in their system that no one had cleared, that no one had looked into. And they they were supposed to do this normally. Mm-hmm. And they purposely set these people up to fail too. It's like an, when an auditor comes to a company and they're just like, they'll stick you in a tiny room because you're literally there just to like find them doing something wrong. Basically, they stuck these people in a like... Debt call center in the middle of a strip mall in nowhere. Uh, so, like, some of the cubicles were these people calling for to collect on credit card debts through the bank. And
1: mm-hmm. then there was just,
0: like, a couple people there who were looking into all of the anti-money laundering flags in the same call center.
1: Just, like, consolidating, you know.
0: Yeah, and I supposedly it was terrible. It was, like, hardly painted. It was in the middle of a strip mall. Um, yeah. All the... Equipment was out of date because they don't want you to do your job, basically. But they they were forced to hire you by the, the government. The sign on the front of the
1: building was HBSC.
0: Adrian, they're like, that's not right.
1: <laughs> they just kept it's it. It's
0: one of the light-up signs. And the B is always out.
1: Why can't they hire
0: someone to fix that? Uh, but people who were working there obviously started being like, mm, something's shady. And they started forwarding information to the CIA. And one person specifically, How? Just, you just contact the CIA and be like, "I have some stuff."
1: Which for you, jeez, like, is there? There's like a line, like
0: I think you just send an email, man, to, like to
1: CIA at CIA dot
0: I I would be dot i feel like- pro- probably. <laughs>
1: right oh that, yeah you're right not cia yeah, yeah, yeah. sbc
0: you? <laughs> if you're sending any emails to cia at Sbcglobal.net, you have more problems <laughs> and that nigerian prince isn't real as well i want you to know that
1: oh no
0: <laughs> um one person specifically decided to look up the names of people on u.s sanction lists So the people that are like banks are forbidden to do business with because they're tied to terrorist organizations or to like, I don't know, like the North Korean government, which is basically a terrorist organization, you know, Um, and he decided to look up names all over the world and found that HSBC had done multiple transactions with many of them.
1: Just all of them. So
0: these people that are, these people and companies that literally, they're on the list, like, don't.
1: They looked at the list and they were like, so these are the people we have to do business with, oh, right? They,
0: they, literally, like, it was probably <laughs> some people in a boardroom being like, well, supply for them is real down. Yeah. Honestly. Like, we got to give them, We you know, we got to, this demand. I'm assuming this is how executives talk in a boardroom. Um, yeah,
1: they were sitting around and they were like, well, no other bank. We, we've we got an untapped market. <laughs>
0: like, I, like, we say it like it's a joke, but it's like that's bit, exactly 100% what happened. exactly what happened. Oh,
1: that's awful. Um,
0: and the way that they had done this, though, because all of this goes through a filter, like, the, so the government can see if this happens. Um, they were criminally altering the names of the clients in order to pass them through the software checks. So, for example, instead of putting Tajco, which is a company known to fund the Hezbollah, a Lebanese terrorist organization, um, they would instead put like taj.co or taj-co to get it through the system. <laughs> so that, the big, this is the big thing for me because it shows that not only did they know it was wrong, because they knew they had to change it, but that they did it 100% oh it's purposefully. It's like
1: it's like they just put like ISIS in there, but the S's were dollar signs.
0: You know, <laughs> honestly.
1: I dollar sign, I dollar sign. Just like Jeez.
0: taking the Kesha route. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Um, so finally, with all this information that they got uh, from the information funneling of the CIA from the call centers um, and all of the investigation that the West Virginia prosecuting team had done they had enough evidence that they were ready to indict HSBC and pursue criminal charges if necessary but it was at this point that they contacted uh the Department of Justice and they asked for a meeting and after the meeting the assistant US attorney general Lenny Brewer told the prosecution to step down from their investigation into HSBC so they tell them hey we have enough evidence on them. We're ready to file criminal charges. We're ready to look into it and see if we can prosecute an individual directly or prosecute the whole company and get some recompense for it. But Lenny Brewer was like, nah. (laughs) Step down from the investigation. You can still look into the doctor who was prescribing the opiates and his wife who was in on it, but we don't want you to investigate HSBC anymore. Even though they put thousands of hours into this investigation and getting ready to prosecute the Department of Justice put the kibosh on it. Was that it? Was it over? Did HSBC get off scot-free? That's pretty close to the truth. Uh, In 2012, the U.S. Department of Justice announced that HSBC had signed a Deferred Prosecution Agreement, or DPA, to settle the violation of many anti-money laundering statutes in America. And a DPA is essentially a probation, but for corporations. Uh, where the Department of Justice files charges but agrees not to move forward with the prosecution uh, Mm. during a probationary period. And this period for HSBC was set from 2012 to 2017, where HSBC uh, needed to agree to more governmental oversight into their practices. And they did also agree to a fine of $1.9 billion and a civil settlement of $600 million. That sounds like a lot of money, right? $1.9 billion is a lot of like money. sounds like a
1: lot of money to me. It
0: is a lot of money. The thing is, though, is that $1.9 billion is roughly equivalent to five weeks of profit for HSBC. <laughs> not revenue, but profit. Just the money they're making above the oh, bottom line. Oh,
1: no. Of course.
0: And obviously, this fine was greeted with heavy criticism for being too light from everybody, stating that it would not have a large impact On the business of the bank. It would just go on as usual. Yeah. And the whole point was that they did it on purpose. They didn't want to fuck with the business of the bank because a regulator in the UK talked to the attorney general and said that pursuing criminal charges against HSBC would have too big of a negative impact on the European economy. They were too big to fail and too big to jail. Because if you even threaten them with criminal charges, say that something might go wrong, their stock might crash. Everyone might pull out, and if a big bank like that fails, your whole economy mm. a recession immediately, almost Ugh. like what happened in two thousand eight. So
1: it's so awful because it's like it's like oh yeah, it's gonna crush our economy, and it's like it's ruining people. Like the practices that they are enabling is already ruining the lives of people in another country, like.
0: Mm. So after the probation period, the Department of Justice dropped all criminal charges against HSBC in 2017 when it ended. And not one person was ever convicted or even charged with any crime related to the money laundering that's been going on. I mean, they were first told in 2003. Nothing still has happened. It's been 18 years.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I it's crazy that like, okay, so like they can't they can't like indict like HSBC, but they can't even like pick an individual person. You know, like the very tippy top, you know, they couldn't just be like, hey, you were in charge of this. You messed up.
0: That's actually harder because you can't do that. Why? That's the whole problem. That's what makes white collar crimes hard. That's also what makes um, mafia crimes hard to get like the, the person running the mafia. You can arrest all the small people, but you can't arrest them. And they did institute laws that made it easier for that. But it's just really hard to prove in court that they did anything. It's really hard to get them, and it's the same thing in corporations, which is why they don't do it, unless they can prove that someone did something very knowingly.
1: Very knowingly.
0: Like in Enron, like like, like in Enron things where they found emails where they literally were saying, we're doing this, or accounting fraud where they know someone purposely manipulated the books and they know who did it. Stuff like this where it's just like... It's literally the corporation committing the crime. The people up top might have greenlit it, but really, it's everyone in that corporation that was complicit in it.
1: Yeah, so I was like, just where's the where's the accountability? Where's the incentive to like operate legitimately? I mean, if the, they're not being held accountable,
0: there wasn't a lot until the financial crisis when they allowed clawbacks on on uh, corporate <sighs> executives, where they could take back money from them. Before that, they couldn't even do that. So if mm-hmm. a so if a uh, an executive was like found doing something wrong and really fucked up in the company, they couldn't take any of the money, the bonuses they'd already given them back. Now they can. But it's basically purely financial unless they can find them purposely uh, committing a crime, like securities fraud or something. Mm-hmm. But, you know. Jeez. um it, Even after that, after they got off scot-free, uh, in 2020, financial documents called the FinCEN files were uh, leaked from the Financial Crimes Enforcement Net- Network. And these files showed that during the period from 2012 to 2017, while on probation, HSBC was still laundering money from companies involved in the drug trade. It was a company in Venezuela that was that is now a known shell company for the drug cartels in Venezuela, mm. but it wasn't officially on the U.S. list yet. But they were doing the same transactions for them during the probationary period in high numbers. And they were the main bank that took $21 million from a company that was found to be a worldwide pyramid scheme later.
1: I did read about that. And they
0: they were the chosen bank. And the government knew this because it was in all of the files that they had. And they still decided to drop the charges at the end of their probationary period. So it's pretty fucked up. Um, and there are numerous, numerous other scandals from HSBC as they have been drenched in it since 2000. Uh, we're not going to cover them here. They're very long, very extensive. Um, although I will briefly mention because we just covered the Lehman brothers last week that they were the first to record a loss due to the subprime lending of the housing bubble that in 2008 and, um, they also settled for the least amount of money with with the American government. A lot of the banks ended up settling with the American government about how they, char- how they caused the um, mm. the housing bubble in two thousand eight, and they paid the least amount. Sick. So everything we talked about last week in the Lehman Brothers episode, uh, mortgage fraud and the widespread subprime lending fraud that was going on in America, they were also part of that. So, pretty bad.
1: God, that is just that is just so it's so like. It just fills you with, like, a like just a hopelessness a little bit, you know?
0: <laughs> Welcome to the podcast, like, Sarah. <laughs> I know. I listen to it.
1: I know. But it's just, like, it's just what do you do, you know? What the heck do you do?
0: I don't know. I, for me, I guess it was do a podcast. <laughs> I will cha- do I a will, podcast. I will change the world <laughs> through the art form known as podcast.
1: Podcasting.
0: Oh.
1: It makes me It makes me want to do my own podcast Of cool crimes only
0: Oh my god Which uh, Just a reminder now that we're close to the end None of these were cool crimes None of
1: these would be included on my cool crimes
0: podcast None of them were on the cool crimes podcast
1: I would just look at all the crimes That are actually kind of cool Yeah,
0: yeah. Like um, uh, beating up a guy Who talked a little bit A little bit down to your friend he was mean to him and you just you hit him like just enough like not enough to hurt him really but yeah just enough to show him that you can't be like that to people <laughs> yeah cool that's crime. A cool crime cool crime <laughs> um so to put everything from today in perspective greed one of the most common threads throughout this show it controls The elite of the elite in America and all over the world. It has driven humankind to great atrocities throughout the history of currency as an idea. Most of the time on this show, it leads to accounting fraud and defrauding investors, securities fraud. And once every season, it does end in murder. In this case, however, we got to see a bank so blinded by profit that they will take money from people who kill civilians on a daily basis. They take blood money from terrorist organizations who post beheading videos online because, hey, a buck is a buck and that's just business. And we are here today to say that the fact that HSBC has become a safe haven for this kind of money laundering is atrocious. When does too big to fail go too far? And I surely hope that somewhere down the line that HSBC gets fucked over harder than any other bank in financial history for the sake of the thousands of people who have lost their lives in the crossfire of the drug trade that they keep supporting. So on that very somber note, I want to thank you all for listening to today's podcast. Even though it was sans Nina Kern, I hope you still enjoyed it. Uh, I know you guys don't come here for me. (laughs) I can hear it in your voices right now as you say Why did I listen to this whole episode? I really wish Nina was here. I knew
1: it. I knew you could hear what I was saying when I was listening. I always thought it, and now you've confirmed it. I gotched you. You what? I gotched you. You got gotched.
0: Oh, great. (laughs) That's a (laughs) t-shirt. You got gotched.
1: You got gotched.
0: (laughs) Um... But yeah, thank thank you for listening. Even while Nina's over at uh, Zanies, and thank you so much, Sarah, uh, for joining me here on the podcast, filling in for her. Uh, I think we had some fun discussions some fun bits today i hope you learned a little bit about hsbc and if you're looking to open an account um i don't know <laughs> if i don't know if they'll give you a replacement card at the same day yeah um, okay it seems that like you've might be a game
1: changer that,
0: <laughs> you go in there and they're like oh yeah man we'll give it to you anytime you want like you can get three in a day and you're that like,
1: sounds like something hsbc would say like, fuck that's really good, that's really good. <laughs> no it's not it's not good they're not good at all they do all the uncool crimes.
0: They do all of them. all Kicking babies, all the uncool crimes. Every yeah. single one. Um, it's not a cool crime. <laughs> so once again, thanks for listening. Uh, please like, follow, and share, and leave a review on iTunes if you could. Uh, our rating is actually growing now that we've uh, started asking out, and we'd love some more. Um, we love a five-star rating, but if you wanted to go on there and leave an honest rating with some stuff we could uh, improve upon written down there... Hey, we'll listen. We're up to change. Uh, and we love you. Thanks for uh, the support. If you want to support us in a way that's less free than that, um, you can also, buy our merch. The uh, link to our merch is in the show description. I actually just got a sweatshirt from there. I got a t-shirt. And Sarah got a t-shirt. It's so cute. They're pretty nice. Honestly, yeah. I was a little skeptical. I'm not going to lie. When I first got it, and I was like, oh, man. These are going to be like printed on cardboard when they show up. No, they're uh, And it's going to be cute. awful. I got some stickers. Nina got a mug. It all looks very Nina good. Nina got a
1: mug? Yeah. Oh, man. I need a mug.
0: It all looks very good. Uh, high quality. Check us out on T Republic. Um, you're going to follow the podcast social here um at facebook.com slash white collars red hands uh, twitter.com at white collars pod you can follow our instagram at white collars underscore red hands uh sarah you can follow them on you can
1: follow them at silver sarah on twitter um for for some for some high quality jokes
0: uh yeah And
1: Cool Crimes.
0: Yes, I'm sure that (laughs) Cool Crimes will be a running episode on Sarah's Twitter from now on. Uh, You have a 24-hour theater production that you're putting on coming up that's online, right? Yes,
1: first day of school comedy. um, My comedy and theater group I am starting, we have a 24-hour theater live stream that'll be happening. You can follow... Um, uh, first day of school Um, comedy on Twitter for more information about that that'll be on June 26th at 8pm central time on YouTube so yeah, be on the lookout for that if you like some haphazardly thrown together theater.
0: Great I'll also post the links uh, to all that down in the uh, show description as well
1: very handy thank you.
0: So I think that's all I have thanks so much for coming out uh, Sarah filling in for Nina Kern so I think that's it So thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you on another episode of White Collars, Red Red hands. Hands.